0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer,
1: this is data. I'm an Android. I I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Cranjus McBasketball. Analytics was crap.
0: Does not compute.
1: Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team.
0: (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I'm your host for today, Cranjus McBasketball, but you can call me Tim. Uh, As you may have noticed, Tom will not be with us today, but he will be back for Wednesday's recording, and I believe Friday as well. Today, it is just me, and we are talking about the defensive side of the game. On Friday, we covered some offensive archetypes. We went through 12 different roles that were really the jobs that players have. And when we speak about basketball players, the approach I try to take is look at their skill set, look at their job look at their situation in terms of the scheme, how how well the coaching staff develops players, optimizes players, all of those different things to then take a look at the impact data that they might have, their real plus minus, their player impact plus minus, their RAPM, their Raptor, their box plus minus, all of that stuff. That is the result, but what goes into that are a lot of different important factors. We can't look at those leaderboards and assume that because a guy was... I don't know, ranked 13th, that he's the 13th most talented player in the NBA. Year after year, we see players who are more, just really well-optimized role players or kind of second-tier guys up with that first tier because they're just used really well. They're doing the right jobs for the skill set that they have. And that extends to moving forward on the defensive end, just like what we talked about with offense. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, we have seven, seven different defensive positions that we will take a look at today. On the offensive side, I spoke about how I built off of some existing work that uh, Todd Whitehead had done and Jeff Siegel had done in terms of offensive roles. On the defensive side, I played a very, very minor part in the creation of these. These are actually uh, the result of work that Jeff Siegel, who you may know from early bird rights you can find on Twitter, tweeting a lot of great content. He is now with Clutch Sports, so his uh, his website has been taken down. Uh, I believe he still has all of it. He can probably put it back up at some point later, um, if and when that is allowed or he's no longer with Clutch or wh- whatever his situation may be. But lots of great resources. I know I loved going to his site, looking at salary cap stuff, looking at the rotations tool that he had on his site. Um, but this is just another one of Jeff's great creations. He looked at data that told us really what what is a player's job? What are they doing? How how do they spend time guarding? Do they do they defend the rim or not? Are they defending more on ball or off ball if they're a point guard or a wing? Are they defending, are they chasing guys around screens? Are they the ones chasing those Joe Harris's and JJ Reddicks, those off-screen shooters around those perimeter off-ball screens? Or are they a guy who is more playing that middle linebacker, I'm going to, or not middle linebacker, uh, free safety, like I'm going to roam, and I'm going to go intercept some passes and, and be a really good rotation help kind of guy. Um, these are some of the questions that he asked, and, and I was at least in the chat where he, Krishna, and I were brainstorming through some of these, and then Jeff put it together, sent it over to the two of us, and uh, gave us the permission to post these on Index, and you can see these roles for free. If you go to, just like last week, if you go to our free data and tools pages, you can see the defensive roles for any player in the NBA from 2013 to 2020. You can look at the the single years and, and see along with their offensive role and then their impact data. Now, for these seven roles, you'll see that they are split up similarly to the offensive roles where the bigs are kind of their own grouping and then wings and guards kind of mesh together a little bit. Um, Oh, Also, I should say, if you want to pause this, pull up bball-index.com and go to our About the Data dropdown, you can click on our Defensive Roles uh, page and be looking through these as I talk through what, what they are, if that helps illustrate those, or if you ever want to refer back and understand exactly what you're looking at with these. So again, there are seven different Defensive Roles. Let's talk about the bigs first. So we have anchor bigs. This is a big who defends deep in pick and roll, often dropping to protect the rim. Rudy Gobert, Brooke Lopez, the the guys that are your rim protectors and like that is their primary function. They can do other things and we don't quite have like a versatile big role on defense the way we do on offense, but defensively their primary job as an anchor big is to be that defensive anchor, to protect that rim. And this is something that we saw this season. As I pull it up from a few Laker players, now there are uh, a couple other big man categories. And okay, so looking at the Lakers roster, they had three players—really two—among guys who who played rotation minutes who were categorized as anchor bigs: Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. Now they have additional rim protection. Anthony Davis can can defend the rim. He can do that well. But just because he has a talent there doesn't necessarily mean that was his primary function and in having watched many Anthony Davis games, I think we can agree that his job on defense wasn't quite to be that anchor big. Just like on offense, defensively looking at which guys are on which teams and in which schemes and in which lineups depending on how you want to play defensively or depending on who you're playing defensively, you may want to have different kinds of players on the court from a skill set standpoint. And then ideally, if you're you're optimizing them in the right roles, that means that from a defensive role standpoint, you uh, will also have the right mix of guys. Now, if if you have a traditional center out there and they are not... A more mobile player, and uh, you, like they're they're potentially a liability on the perimeter. You ideally want them out there being able to defend the rim. You you don't want to have a guy like Dwight Howard that uh, is weaker defending in you know on the perimeter and ball screen situations, doing that as his primary function. So that's just something to keep in mind. Now, if we look at some of the available uh, free agent options. And let me pull up my B-Ball Index leaderboards tool and look at the anchor bigs who have played more than 500 minutes. You have Derek Favors, who, interestingly enough, was an anchor big. Marcus Saul was an anchor big. Montrez Harrell, Dwight Howard, as we know. and his Cantor, if he opts out. uh he's restricted. Alex Selen was an anchor big. Myers Leonard, Robin Lopez, Jan Mahimi, Thon Maker, we have JaVale, New Noel was in this job, Jakob Pertle, who's restricted, Tristan Thompson, Hassan Whiteside. A couple of the guys I mentioned were either restricted free agents or had player options, but that is your pool of, if you're looking to replace Dwight or looking to replace JaVale and you want somebody one-for-one one who did that job last year that is the, the group of players you'd be looking at. Now, there are more than, there's, there's definitely more than one factor you want to look at, and whether or not they were a good anchor big is another question to take a look at. But if you have a big man who is weaker on the perimeter but really strong with the rim protection, this is the job you want them doing. Among the other two big man positions, they may sound similar, but they're not quite the same. So we have perimeter bigs and we have mobile bigs. Mobile bigs are bigs who defend aggressively in the pick and roll, often switching or hedging hard to push ball handlers away from the rim. Let me pull up some of the uh, mobile bigs, who, of, of which the Lakers had none this, this past season. Bam Adebayo was a mobile big. Clint Capella, Dwayne Dedman, Willie Hernan Gomez, Sergi Baca, Kavon Looney, Mason Plumley, Mitchell Robinson, P.J. Tucker. Now, all of these guys may they, they may have varying degrees of perimeter defensive ability. They may have varying degrees of rim protection ability, but their job, Marquise Chris, Tyson Chandler, what they call a Stein, their job was more perimeter-centric in terms of how they were used in screen coverages. Instead of dropping back to defend the rim, these were guys that teams... Used in more versatile schemes So uh, If the Lakers were to try to tr- chase some free agents And let me just switch from the all players view To the all free agents view Looking at some of the options Willie Cauley-Stein has a player option He was a mobile big uh, Let's see Aren't a lot of great options Sergi Baca, Unrestricted free agent Mason Plumlee Unrestricted free agent Those are some of the guys that You might take a look at If you're looking to run the type of defense that's that's more switchy or perhaps just more aggressive in terms of blitzing ball handlers or hedging hard, um, not, not really that drop, softer, less aggressive ball screen coverage. Now, the third big man defensive job, defensive role, is as a perimeter big. This is a big who does not defend in pick and rolls as often and either stays with shooters on the perimeter or can rotate to help at the rim. This is where Anthony Davis falls. He's less often the guy directly involved in the screening action, and this is because oftentimes he's, in the regular season, he is more of a power forward. So it's often those centers that come and set those, those ball screens. So that's why we see Dwight and JaVale more uh, in the the anger big, or they could have potentially been mobile bigs if, if they were defending differently. Um, but AD... Defending fours often and being as switchy as he is and defending a lot of different positions, he spends a lot of time on defense defending guys who aren't as directly involved in those actions. And if I go to his player profile and we pull up and look at the offensive positions and offensive roles he spends time guarding, he spent about 40% of his time defending power forwards, about 30% defending centers, and then about 10% defending point guards, shooting guards, and small forwards. So he was he was pretty versatile. From a offensive role and offensive archetype standpoint, he was defending like the point guard types a little bit less, but all of those different wing sort of players, other than those off-screen shooters, he spent a decent amount of time defending. And he was also able to take on some defending taller wing sort of assignments, and we see that reflected in his data. So these perimeter bigs, just to give you a sense for what some of the other ones look like. Let's pull them up. So we're going to look at free agents who've played at least least 500 minutes last season. Davis Bertans, Carmelo Anthony, Jeremy Grant was one of these guys, Jermichael Green was one of these guys, Solomon Hill, Paul Millsap, Markeef Morris, Kelly Alinek, Jabari Parker, Patrick Patterson, Marvin Williams, Christian Wood, You'll see a lot of f- power forward type of guys. And and that leads to them being more just defending shooters on the perimeter and, and having some rotational help responsibility more so than being directly in those uh, screening situations as the big man defender. Then we get into our guards and wings. And, and these roles kind of mesh together and you'll see players who They're a wing on offense, but defensively they defend the point of attack. Or offensively, they're the point guard, but defensively they're more of a chaser or a helper. The the four roles we have are point of attack, who are guards who defend smaller ball handlers and pick and roll in isolation, and on the perimeter with limited off-ball help responsibilities. They are taking the lead man, and up there, some of them are pestering, some of them may not be as big of those on-ball pests, but uh, that is what you're looking at with those sorts of guys. And if we look just at the Lakers and the players that they have, their point of attack players this season were Avery Bradley, who has a reputation for that, Rajan Rondo, and Dion Waiters. If we look at the free agency pool, and actually, wait, that's on just all free agents. Uh, along with that, you had Alex Caruso and Quinn Cook. That were also point of attack defenders for the Lakers this past year. If we look at available free agents, DJ Augustine, Trey Burke, Deli, Chris Dunn, uh, Langston Galloway, Jordan McLaughlin. I may be saying his name wrong. Uh, D'Anthony Melton, who's restricted, Emmanuel Mudiay, Shabazz Napier. It's a, a lot of point guards. Austin Rivers, Gary Payton, Raul Neto, uh, Fred VanVleet, Garrett Temple, Jeff Teague, lots of those guys. And you can go see the full list on on the site for free. But taking that on-ball, they're they're not being used off-ball as much. When we think about the Lakers, Avery Bradley was that on-ball defensive guard. Alex Caruso was able to fill in in that position when Bradley was out, and Rajon Rondo playing more was able to fill that position once he was back and healthy in the playoffs. If we think about the other uh, roles that we have, so a chaser is a guard who sticks to shooters and cutters on the perimeter with limited off-ball help responsibilities. They are sticking to their dudes, doing that job, chasing around, and if we look at some of the chasers that are available in free agency, we have guys like Jordan Clarkson, Pat Connaughton, Bryn Forbes, Evan Fournier, Tim Hardaway Jr., Joe Harris, Kyle Corver, Wes Matthews, our guy Svee. Those players were varying degrees of, of being you know player option, restricted or unrestricted, but those were some of the guys that were defending in, in that sort of defensive role. Now, the Lakers didn't quite have any of those. If you look at the defensive roles for the Lakers this year, they didn't have any of that. They didn't have any mobile bigs. They had several perimeter bigs with... Davis, Kuzma, Morris, and Dudley. Their anchor bigs were Howard and McGee, and then uh, Antetokounmpo when, when he did play, which I wasn't often. Uh, and then point of attack, we talked about Bradley, Caruso, Cook, Rondo, and Waiters. Among the remaining two positions that we haven't covered, you find the rest of the Laker players. So we have Wingstoppers, which is where KCP fell, and I think we can all agree, isn't the best role for what KCP's good at and KCP's size? If we pull up, let me pull up KCP and see what he has done in the past. He's a guy with a skill set that strikes me better off, perhaps more as a chaser. And, oh, interesting. So the Lakers, in the two seasons he's been in LA, I'm sorry, the three seasons he's been in LA. He's been a wing stopper every single season. Before that, he spent... He, he was point of attack for a period of time, and he was a chaser for a period of time. KCP is a guy who, he he's okay on ball in those tougher matchups, especially against bigger guys. He's not who I'd prefer to have there, but he's really strong playing passing lanes and defending cutters. And so that that is why just thinking about where he might be able to be better leveraged, a chaser role kind of sticks out to me. And I was actually surprised to see that he was a, a wing stopper this year. Among wingstopper players, which we've spoken about as a role that the Lakers could use and would probably like to add to their team, because, uh, because again, Danny Green isn't kind of that guy. KCP isn't quite that guy. The Lakers had to turn to AD to take on that wingstopper role against Jimmy Butler in really the only matchup the entire playoffs so where the Lakers played a bigger scorer who was a wing. We LA got really lucky in terms of playing teams that had guards that were scoring, which we certainly have the defenders for, or big men that score, which we have the defenders for. LA's weakness last season was defensively defensively at the wing, and we didn't have to really face any of those teams that had that other than Jimmy Butler, and this was if you think back to a couple well, more than a couple podcasts ago at this point. That's why Boston was a worrisome team for me just thinking about how many guys we could have to use in those types of roles. Com- compared to how many we have that could actually succeed in that. So, looking at wing stoppers on the market, you have Kent Bazemore, you have Alec Burks, you have Torrey Craig, P.J. Dozier, you have Mo Harkless, Rodney Hood, Josh Jackson, Courtney Lee, Glenn Robinson, Evan Turner. And again, this is this was the, what their job was. That doesn't necessarily mean it was the optimal situation for them. Glenn Robinson is the guy who we'll talk about on the next pod was in a role that did not match his skill set because of how poorly constructed the Philadelphia roster was. Some of these guys, in in, when we think about how difficult these positions are, wing stoppers are probably, that's up there. You're not hiding someone defensively and throwing them in a wing stopper role. You can hide them as a, uh, and, and we've actually seen the helper role or point of attack a little bit, which may be a little counterintuitive, but that's just... Apparently how it's worked out. When we look at wing stoppers and their average uh, matchup difficulty, which is another concept I'd like to cover today, among those, let's see, there are 18 different players who are at any type of free agent this offseason, and among those 18, that I'm sorry, that were uh, wing stoppers, and among those 18, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 of them had A or A-minus matchup difficulties this past season, and then none, and then another additional 4 were in the B, B+, B-minus range. If you're a wingstopper, generally you're playing against harder matchups, and actually if we, we filter this down by minutes, some of those guys who had lower matchup difficulty filter out just because they were end-of-bench types of players. So this is a definitely a harder role, and if we think about taking someone who was in this role and taking them out of it, you might be able to expect, depending on where you put them, a jump in their defensive impact. Or if you take someone from another role and throw them into this, depending on if they're ready for it or not, you can see a drop in their defensive impact. And being in a wingstopper role makes you perhaps more vulnerable to, if if you do really well, it's great. If you do poorly, it'll be more negatively impactful than perhaps being a worse helper on defense, which is our last defensive role. So a helper is a guard or wing who helps away from his matchup both on drives and at the rim. If we look at the Lakers roster and the helpers that they have on their team, we see three players, THT, we see LeBron, and we see Danny Green. And I think that makes a lot of sense. When we think about the rim protection the Lakers had this this season and how often guys were defending at the rim, you certainly had your, your big men who that was their main job, but then you also saw on many occasions LeBron meet somebody at the rim and help off of his man, or Danny Green go meet somebody at the rim and stuff somebody. This is playing into their skill set. It can get you in trouble at times, and we saw in the bubble when the Lakers played Toronto, they were anticipating LeBron would help on drives and purposefully kicking it out to where his man was. But in general, this is an interesting role because you are that free safety. You are rotating to help if somebody gets beat. You're rotating to help at the rim. And having someone strong in this role can be really helpful. So LA already has Danny Green and LeBron in this. THT was it this past year. We'll see what his role looks like moving forward if he gets bigger minutes. But that, that is what the makeup was on the Lakers roster. Now, if we look at free agents who played at least 500 minutes this past season, that were helpers, we end up with a list of 14 guys Let's look at a thousand or more minutes That's probably a better representation So now we end up with seven guys Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeMar DeRozan, Gordon Hayward, Justin Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Marcus Morris, and Tony Snell So I think that's a pretty good list So those were the different defensive roles And if we think about how the Lakers are constructed what they might need moving forward. It could be helpful to either add the skill set or utilize... I think AD will see kind of all over the place just because of how much he can do and how series-based his role can be defensively because he can be your anchor big if you play smaller. But at the same time, if you're playing small, you're, you're switching more, which means he'd be more like a mobile big. Or if he's playing power forward in the regular season, he's more perimeter big, which I think we see less of in the playoffs but he can also be a wing stopper. So AD can kind of be all over the place. In the regular season, I think it would be useful if we do want to keep AD in that uh, perimeter big role, letting him play power forward. I think adding a mobile big defensively could be really interesting. Markeith has been more of a perimeter big, but adding that mobile big defensive capability, I think would add a lot of value. And again, to refresh your memory, the... Mobile bigs who played at least 500 minutes this past season who are free agents. We have Willie Cauley-Stein, Harry Giles, Sergi Baca, Damian Jones, Frank Kaminsky, Mason Plumlee, Dario Saric, and Bismack Biombo. So it could be worth a look. We also have a lack of wingstopper uh, skill sets on the team, especially thinking regular season setting or in theory if, if AD isn't able to do it because i, I don't think the answer is we're not going to add we're, like we're not going to care about this because we can just make AD do anything i think that's a luxury to have but not the way i would roster build ideally you have players that can do that so if you play a team like boston that has more than one wing that's a scorer you have the right personnel to defend it i think taking kcp out of that role makes sense making him more of a chaser i think you clearly have your point of attack guys on this team You have some very strong helpers. You have some good perimeter bigs and actually generally are are worse defending players like Markeith Morris, Jared Dudley, Kyle Kuzma. They're not quite mobile bigs, I wouldn't say. They're also not wing stoppers. They're definitely not anchor bigs. I I think for the Lakers, that's more of the role of you're a wing slash big kind of player. We're going to keep you away from the action. I don't know how purposeful that is compared to just how often those players are defending those threes and fours who aren't in the action as much but that that's interesting to me so i think adding a wing stopper i think adding a mobile big would be those would be the two skill sets that you would take a look at so that is one of of the metrics and moving forward as we talk about different defensive options for the lakers and who they can look to sign we will be mentioning those and now you can know who is doing what and really how they would fit into our scheme as well as, okay, this guy is an anchor big. We're going to make him a mobile big or he was a point of attack defender, but we have a hundred of those. He's probably going to be more of a chaser or, or a helper or a wing stopper. You know, what does that mean for him? The, these are the questions to be thinking about and the the types of the type of analysis you need to be doing when projecting in free agency and why I don't think just taking impact data from last season in applying it to this season after changing someone's role makes all that much sense. Changing someone's team, changing someone's role, a lot of their impact can depend on the job that they do and the environment in which they do that job. So it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to be cognizant of and analyzing as we talk through free agent options. But those are the defensive roles. The other two topics that I'd like to touch on today, which kind of play right into those defensive roles, are matchup difficulty, which we've referenced, along with defensive versatility. When we talk about matchup difficulty, the way that we go about this is categorizing players into different tiers, usage tiers offensively. And it's not just who takes the most shots, but it's also taking a look at just the total possessions they're chewing up. If you're turning the ball over, that means you're probably with the ball more often. Um, And then I believe we're we're also taking a look at passing creation with this. And we categorize players into six different tiers. So like your LeBron James, your ADs, those are tier one kind of guys. Then you'll have tier two, tier three, tier four, tier five, and tier six. Tier six players are are generally more end of the bench types of players and kind of fill in the other tiers accordingly. By looking at each of these tiers... And looking at matchup data, which I've referenced previously, allows us now to, instead of just saying 80 defended Jimmy Butler for 100% of a defensive possession, we can say, okay, he defended Jimmy Butler for 30%, he defended Goran Dragic for 20%, he defended Bam for 50%. Something like that is more accurate, allows us to, in a more nuanced way, identify who's switching more, who's defending which roles more, which types of positions, and which tiers of offensive players. And then we also have uh, from that data, we're able to tell how often players are defending starters or all-star players or all NBA players. So for like Anthony Davis, for example, he defends all-star players about 12% of his defensive possessions, which is higher than 75% of NBA players. That's, that's like a cool stat to, to have. And you can see that on the player profiles that we use. So getting back to matchup difficulty looking at those usage tiers and and setting up a formula that rewards players more for defending higher tiers of guys we come up with a statistic that is estimating how difficult the matchups are for each each player defensively. If we look at the Lakers and let me just pull them up and we're going to look at matchup difficulty. We see that for L.A., and I'm going to add a little minutes filter here, some of the players with the hardest matchups this past season were Danny Green, whose matchup difficulty was higher than 98% of NBA players, Avery Bradley, who his matchup difficulty was higher than 97% of NBA players, and then, oh, there's Alex Caruso at an 83rd percentile A-. Those were some of the, the guys who took on the hardest matchups. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Dwight Howard, who has a D, 30th percentile, You have Rajon Rondo, you have Markeith Morris, who were C-minuses. And then everyone else is is kind of in between. AD was a B, LeBron was a B-minus. If we look at the NBA overall and rank them and, and take a look at... Let me set this up a little bit differently. We'll rank them by matchup difficulty while also keeping defensive role in mind. Among players who played 500 or more minutes this past season... The players with the hardest matchup difficulty were Ben Simmons, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Wes Matthews, Terrence Ferguson, Torrey Craig, Lou Dort, and then, oh, there's Danny Green, ranking in at 8th in the entire league. Then you have Trevor Ariza, Tony Snell, who's a free agent, Drew Holiday, Dylan Brooks, DeJounte Murray, Rodney Hood, Avery Bradley, again, O.G. Ananobi, Josh Richardson, Chris Dunn, Moe free agent, Jimmy Butler. Those are some of the guys who were taking on the toughest matchups. If we look on the other end, and actually let me look at guys who played 1,500 minutes or more. Let's see who's hiding. Terrence Ross was an F. Kobe White, Lou Williams. We see Goran Dragic down here. You see Kevin Love down here. Luka Doncic, Joe Harris, Trey Young, Carmelo Anthony. Lots of guys who just aren't able to... Oops, excuse me. We see lots of guys who just are are purposefully taken away from some of those higher caliber offensive options for the other team. And so you can point at that and say, oh, they're hiding Luka. But it's better that they hide Luka than if they don't hide Luka, if Luka's a poor defender. I would I would rather see players put into roles that match their skill sets, which is from a, a role standpoint makes sense. And then in terms of exactly which matchups you're taking is another piece of that. If you see a guy who's up at the top of the matchup difficulty leaderboard who isn't a strong defender, that tells you that their team isn't really setting them up to succeed all that well and setting the team up to succeed all that well. You want the better guys taking on tougher matchups, obviously trying to stay within their role the best you can, but there, there is that uh, Given pull that you have with with matchup difficulty versus defensive role, maybe you take someone out of their ideal role to help def- have them defend a, a higher caliber scoring option for the other team. So these are the things to think about on a game by game basis. It can it can look different, but overall I think these give us a really good sense for which players are taking on more difficult matchups and in which in which defensive roles. Now. The last concept that I want to introduce is positional versatility. Positional versatility, and, and we also have role versatility on defense. They look at, again, that matchup data, looking at who how, mu- how much you're spending time defending each different player, you know, 30% Jimmy Butler, 20% Goran Dragic, 50% Bam, or whatever it happens to be. And looking at the the position those players are, so point guard, center, small forward, whatever it is, or their offensive role, or their offensive archetypes, and then gauging how versatile a defender is based on what that spread looks like. If we look at the players who have the most defensive versatility, we see some familiar, interesting names. You have OG Ananobi up at the top. Oh, I'm I'm pilting by 1500 minutes, by the way. James Harden's up there, Pascal Siakam, Ben Simmons, Royce O'Neill, Dorian Finney-Smith's up there, Gordon Hayward's an interesting name, Jimmy Butler, Mikkel Bridges, P.J. Tucker, Jalen Brown, Kawhi Leonard, Jason Tatum. Some of this will depend on the scheme that a team is running, but the, team that, the, the scheme that a team can run will also depend on the, the skill sets they have. On the other end of this, you have guys who are very much a single position defender, and the way we generally see this is point guards and centers so at the bottom of the list we have steven adams jonas uh, valenciunas valenciunas i pronounce his name wrong sometimes nikola vucevic hassan whiteside brooke lopez nikola Jokic, rudy gobert lamarcus aldridge we have some of the guards like a Corey joseph uh eric bledsoe darius garland Markel Fultz, Ish Smith, Tristan Thompson is, is at the bottom of this list, towards the bottom of this list. These are players who maybe they can defend more versatily, but they haven't defended more versatile And assessing, you know, reality of what their job was relative against what they are potentially capable of, this should have a pretty high overlap, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're capable if they are defending more or, or less versatile. But again, coaches, for the most part, optimize players pretty well in general. So we're going to see the more versatile players used more versatile, the less versatile players used less versatily. And looking at team defensive schemes and analyzing player capability and looking at coaching defensive philosophies and analyzing player to scheme fit, those, those are the types of things that we do at B-Ball Index on the consulting side that are really interesting and help identify where those great free agent signings might be on the team side or on the player side to be able to see a jump all of a sudden in your defensive player impact plus minus or your offensive real plus minus or or your Raptor or whatever it happens to be. So that is something to keep in mind. Again, I'm not going to give a whole lot away. I'll talk for a second about what the Lakers look like with this, but this is more setting the stage for when we do eventually, well, on Wednesday, talk through some more free agent options, and we reference versatility or matchup difficulty or defensive role. You understand exactly what we're speaking about here. If we look at defensive positional versatility for the Lakers, the most versatile guys were Jerry Dudley, who, again, was playing on lower minutes. He has an F matchup difficulty. He was he was garbage time. Kyle Kuzma was very versatile for the Lakers. LeBron James, those guys were both A minuses. Marquise was a B plus. Danny Green, Rajon Rondo were Bs. A C and Contavious Caldwell Pope were B minuses. Ed was only a C plus, but if you look specifically at his playoff data, it is much higher. So again, this isn't it isn't damning damning to a guy to be high or low on this. This is just telling us what their job was. Dwight and Javale were Fs in their versatility. They defended big guys and that was their job. And that's probably the way you want them defending. From a matchup difficulty standpoint, the guys taking the easiest matchups were those end-of-bench guys because when they were in, it tended to be against other end-of-bench players. So THT, Jared Dudley in Costas, uh, Dwight Howard on the lower end. And we actually, and you know what? We brought this up earlier. Danny Green, Avery Bradley. Those were some of the guys taking on those, those tougher matchups. So, that's a look just at what some of these metrics are, how the Lakers grade out, and the the jobs, those roles that we look at defensively. And that is just setting the stage. So then when we do eventually get to guys and talk about free agents and talk about who we want to sign, can reference these and, and speak with confidence and uh, a general sense of understanding without having to say, the little spiel about matchup difficulty every time we reference the stats. So that's a little bit for you today. When we get to our wings on Wednesday, I think there are a lot of really interesting options. I have notes on nine specific players who I think would be worth covering in depth. I'm sure Tom will have some additional ones that we'll add to that list. We'll take a look at what some of those Bobby Marks uh, projections were and see who might be within our price range, who might not. So definitely join us for that. If you haven't already, listened to the Biggs version of that and the Guards version of that that we've done previously. We've had a lot of really great podcasts so far. Go check out our pod with Alex Regula where we went over THT and what he might be able to bring to the Lakers moving forward. We are going to continue with some of those player-specific review sort of pods. I think we might do KCP and Avery Bradley next. Um, so we have those on the way. We're going to talk trade options. We are going to talk about the draft before the draft sneaks up on us because that's coming up soon. We're going to actually have a pod where after laying out and, and talking through dozens of free agent options, we're going to spend a pod actually saying, okay, this is what I would do. Because a lot of this process and with it, when there are so many different options and you have hundreds of data points and tons of film on everybody, so far through this, it's been kind of exploring and sharing as we go. Now that we've dug through some players a little bit deeper, I know I for sure have a better sense of who I'd like to go after, who I'd want to stay away from, who would be worth it, who wouldn't be worth it. There are situations where there might be two guys with similar profiles, but one of them is going to cost way more money. Um, So we'll get through all of that. Uh, Tom will be back with us on Wednesday, but for now, I am Tim. You can find me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA. Go follow Index at the underscore bball underscore index. If you rate the podcast, review the podcast, give us a nice rating and and DM that over to me on Twitter, we can get you in the Discord group, which is a group chat where we have been talking about free agents. We were just talking about uh, Jeff Teague a little bit earlier. Somebody asked about him. We have a general chat. We have a shit talk chat. We have a... uh, league news chat, a draft chat. We've been doing some live streams and and getting some live Q&A done and walking through deeper into the player profile. So instead of just listening to me talk about a guy, you can listen to me talk about a guy while showing you the film, breaking down the film, looking at their player profile page, looking at that more in-depth, in-depth stuff so you can see really what I'm looking at when I'm analyzing these players. So that is something that that is free. We're not charging anyone to get into that, but just just DM me and and I'll add you. That is it for today. Thank you everyone for joining us. This has been the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. See you soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only
1: on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance.